All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again, as always, in the blockhouse with Kelly. Kelly. Yes. Sorry. Hello. I'm here. You are here. <laughs> I am here. We are hanging out. We're here today to talk about Bob Dylan. Ooh. This is a Bob Dylan podcast. We choose a song by Bob Dylan at random, and then we spend the entire week listening to it. We make a Spotify playlist that we'll talk about later on in the episode, and then we'll talk about the music. We'll talk about the lyrics. We'll talk about whatever the hell we want to. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as, and I promise this will make sense in a moment, this triangular number, this dodecagonal number, this sphenic number, this product of three consecutive prime numbers, this double factorial of seven, this sum of the first five square pyramidical numbers. This week, we listen to the wonderful Love Minus Zero Over No Limit. Because deck is 10. Off of 1965s. Bringing it all back home. Is it 100 something? Yes. She doesn't have to say she's faithful. Yet she's true like ice, like fire. People carry roses and make promises by the hours. My love, she laughs like the flowers. Valentine's can't buy her. All right, Kelly, we spent the entire week listening to Love Minus Zero Over No Limit off of 1965's Bringing It All Back Home. But before we get started with the show, we want to welcome to the Sign on the Window family, Stan. This episode the, is sponsored by Stan. This episode is brought our to you by Stan. Our newest patron. Thank you, Stan. Stan, wonderful way to start the week. Wonderful that you love the band Fresh, uh, who uh, were yeah. uh, number two, I think, in my in my you know rankings last last year uh, for our top twenty and everything. Uh, I love Fresh. Uh, Fresh are the best. And if you don't know Fresh, type in Fresh Punks on Spotify. And good fucking luck because DJ Fresh. No, they made a playlist now. It's all good. They know. Yay! They know there's a problem. So you, if you <laughs> can't find them, problem. if you can't find them immediately, just scroll down, go to the playlist first playlist there. You'll see nice. Fresh Punks and you'll be able to click on it. It's their entire discography. Click there and then you can go to the thing. So you're fine. You'll find them. Uh, anyway, Stan, thank uh, you for sponsoring this episode. And, and, you know, if you want to sponsor an episode and you want to hear your name on the podcast, you can just go to patreon.com slash SOGW pod. And there's no guarantee on what you're going to be sponsoring. I mean, it could be horrible trash or it could be excellent classic songs so stan you really lucked out in your timing here you didn't know it but good on you buddy this is this is a good one this is gonna be a good one uh, also shout out to everybody i mean i i got back on the gram for the first time since july of last year uh it, you know we're working class podcast as we this say we we're work not we're not a business <laughs> we're just trying our goddamn best and um every time i get on it's just constantly comments by by all of you you guys are so fucking nice um, I don't know why we don't do it more. It's not that I forget. It's just that it's hard to do. You just, you just we have, have so much going on. Jobs, homie. So we try. So uh, shout out to Victor, uh, especially for great conversation. Just like talking to him out of the blue. Um, well, he said something really nice. Like he's like, it's like listening to friends or like, you know, we, we were there when he was feeling a little blue or something. And I was like, I listen to podcasts for that. It's yeah. like hanging out with my friends. Yeah. And somebody thinks that about us. And I'm like, wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. Thanks, it's Victor. it makes us really happy. So thank you all, and if you want to send nice stuff, please do that. Uh, we'll talk about that later on as well. Kelly, yes, the song we yes. did listen to a song, which I think any Bob Dylan fan out there in the world is going to be super stoked on because this is a fantastic song, and hopefully you want to hear our own takes on it. Um, but before we even start, I just want to know 
how you felt this week with the song. Music has been kind of a, a through line so far this year since you've become a musician. Um, <laughs> uh, but you are, did, did you attempt to play this song? You know, because some of them have been piano driven and, mm-hmm. you know, you've been sort of experimenting with that. You obviously make our theme song. You do all kinds of stuff. Um, you played a little bit of uh, All the Tired Horses on your guitar <laughs> before, but I would say that one's pretty easy compared to this one. But what was your, did you have a musical relationship with this or was it just listening to the song? I know you probably like the song, but. Yeah, so it's looking at Dylan Chords, which is a great uh, at DylanCords.org, I want to say. Sure, if you want to know how to play any of the Dylan songs, because I've been trying really hard to learn Girl from the North Country, and I like pretty much got it down, but not well. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'll go to Dylan Chords and figure out this song. Apparently it's in the key of E major, okay. but it didn't really sound like that. Also, in order to play it, you have to put a capo on the fourth fret, and he said that Dylan has his guitar just tuned to drop C, and I was like, I'm not going to fuck with that. If I have to get a standard tuning, guess I'm not playing the song. So instead, I so put it in. So maybe in a year, you'll be you'll be <laughs> super into different tunings. And you'll be like, I'm going to revisit this one. The furthest I go is drop D. And even then, I feel dirty when I do it. Because yeah. it's like, do I have to? See, my other guitar just drop Ds automatically. I know. That's so nice. Uh, what, but, where, where are the drop C? Automatic drop C guitars. Where are too those? much. So it's supposed to be a cable on the fourth fret, which would mean they're like, oh, it's all tuned up here. Okay. Right? Yes. But if it's in the key of E major, well, this is the chord E major, which is does not feature in the song at all. So I don't really fucking know. Well, that was E minor. <laughs> That's E major. Anyway, so I didn't want to do that. So I played it in C instead, or I was like... Which doesn't sound like the song, really. Right, right. But... But that's okay. It, it, it works. You can hear it. Yeah. You can hear it. As long as you got the rhythm. Oh, that also wasn't C, that was B. There we go. And so that's how I was playing it. Yeah. Anyway. And then he does that other thing where it's like towards the end of the verse, because it's only four verses repeated right. throughout the song. So it's like he goes from the C to a D minor. Back to G. That's at the end of the verse. And also, just for the, the sound quality on that, uh, Kelly is using my guitar, <laughs> uh, not her own guitar, which okay. she can't be bothered to she go did. grab. So in the future, we will have that guitar. Because, <laughs> be, I mean, because I get what you're, you're saying there, but you probably know your guitar better than mine. And Yeah, well, my I play a slightly a smaller. Slightly smaller. Smaller well. I mean, everything. I just wait for you to incriminate yourself. I, I, I just let it ride as, oh, this is... Just you know, preferences. We all love our guitars, and you're like, no, no, it's actually just a tiny guitar that I play. You see, I play a tiny guitar. <laughs> hey, my Fender's just three quarters. Okay, it's basically the same size ba- as a regular electric basically. guitar, <laughs> just slightly smaller. But yeah, it's but pretty illuminating. So, did you? Was that like hard to wrap your? Did you have to like do any sort of crazy research? I don't in? know why I even did that. Oh, I guess. Oh, because yeah. Okay, so he's playing on the. He has the fourth fret capo, right? So when you're playing open chords, like everyone oh, who plays the guitar already knows everything about what I'm about to say. I'm going to hold the guitar really weird. So if this is an open G, but we have the fourth fret capo, so you're playing open G like way down right. underneath the fourth fret, which I can't do because there's no capo on it. Like that, but with the capo. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a little bit different, right? So he, I guess he's forcing it to be an E major, even though if you put it on the fourth fret, that's G sharp. So I don't really understand how that works. Stay th- tuned as my music learning continues. <laughs> and I figure out how that <laughs> equals E major somehow. Well, we will... We will come back to this <laughs> yeah. at some point when we revisit this song in five years. You'll, but, five years from now, you will know 
how what to that, do yeah, what the fuck that means. But so the open chords he was doing on the fourth with the fourth fret capo, I was just like, oh well, I'll just play these as bar chords. Right. And I was like, that oh, sounds pretty fine. I mean, yeah. it's not the right. Key, well, but. I think once you start singing it, people are, don't really care. Right. I think that's the beauty of all of this. You might not sound exactly like it. Maybe people wouldn't peg it immediately, but once you start singing the lyrics, yeah, you're like, yep. Yeah. Anyway, so for anyone who cares, I was playing a C bar chord to a G bar chord. To an F bar chord, major, all major, and then going to a D minor okay. at the end of the verse. There okay. you go. So there you go. Solved solved the problem right there. Well, uh, real musicians did gather <laughs> to play this song. Uh, this song. But before we even get into the song, a little bit of context. We'll talk, because we're going to talk about the cutting edge, we'll talk about the musicians for our formative, you know, cutting edge stuff and for the actual thing. But I brought up all the math before because Bob Dylan had a thing during this time period of, quote, mathematical songs. Oh, that's why you said all those words at the beginning? That's why I said all those words. Words I couldn't even say correctly. Dodecanal. Dodecanal, exactly. Um, the actual song title, this song, is Love Minus Zero Over No Limit. Like a fraction. So it's a fraction, yeah. So do with that what you will. He also sort of titled things. We learned that this was called Dime Store from Tom right. Wilson. Yes. Uh, a song right after this was called Bank Account Blues. Um that it became the song I'll Keep It With Mine, but he also named it Alcatraz to the Ninth Power, which oh. wait for Bob Dylan yelling at Tom Wilson about him announcing that title. Um, Bob Dylan just screaming at him. Alcatraz to the Ninth Power. Oh, that's not the name of it. That's what you told me when you left. I switched songs. This song is uh, 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 Bank Account Blues. <laughs> <laughs> Correct cue, bank account blues. Take one, rolling. And then he also had um, Worse Than Money, which becomes the song She Belongs to Me, which we've had a lot of doppelganger songs. You know, we've had the um, Boots of Spanish Leather with Girl from the North Country. We just had She's Your Lover Now with One of Us Must Know Sooner or Later. Uh, the, she Belongs to Me is definitely the doppelganger, this is the yin to the yang of this song. So mm. we will definitely talk about this song again, and you can tell us about that chord. When we talk about she's, She Belongs to Me, which are is another excellent song, but the two of them are very, very different worldviews, uh, especially about the type of love. But maybe they're not so different. I don't know. In 2005, uh, Mojo Magazine rated this the number 20 all-time greatest Bob Dylan song. What's Mojo Magazine? Uh, Mojo is what made, they made that, the second to last, uh, that Dylan, the big Dylan, the black oh, one. Oh, gotcha. They made that one. Okay. And they are a magazine, I think in the UK. Or were. Or are. I think they might. Uh, 2005 is a long time ago. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, I mean, most magazines are dead. Uh, Uncut Magazine. Is that a magazine? I don't know. They listed in 2002 that this was number 23 of all time. Is that a porn magazine? No. Wow. <laughs> He's played this song 365 times total. The last time he played it was in Broomfield, Colorado. Hey, I've been there. October 30th of 2012. Um. No. What's in Broomfield other than Abandoned Mall? Did he play at the Abandoned Mall? Yes, they played at the Abandoned that's Mall. That's rad. No, actually, that's the first place I woke up when I when I first moved to Colorado. Hmm. When I arrived in Colorado, I was at the Walmart. I woke up at the Walmart in Broomfield. I and like I when remember, you say you woke up as if you were kidnapped and that's where you found <laughs> no, yourself. No, that's where my road trip ended. And I remember waking up and I was like, because Broomfield, Walmart, man, fucking the Rockies are just right behind it. Or it wouldn't be the Rockies. It would be the Boulder. Foothills? The Flatirons? The Flatirons, yeah. Is that your stomach? That's my stomach, Jesus. Uh, the Flatirons right behind it. And I'm just like, this is, I mean, this is the most beautiful place I've been. Just 
ignore the Walmart. But then I remember <laughs> I out. sat in the morning and I remember um, they were debating on whether Tim Tebow should start for the Broncos. Oh, yeah. If you should bring him in. And then it was that magical eight and eight season where they made it to the playoffs somehow. And then they won the first playoff game. Uh, what a magical time. I can't believe Colorado. we were there for Tebow. I was in Florida when he played for fucking. And then you moved with him. <laughs> University of Florida, and then I moved to Colorado with Team Tebow. Yes. So, and I remember him coming there. We had just moved to Portland, but I remember thinking, like, ah, fuck, Bob Dylan is there. And he probably was here, but we were poor and we had just oh, moved sure, to sure. Portland. So <laughs> that was never going to happen. Uh, Kelly, we listened to a bunch of versions of this. So, not to like belabor the point, and I really want to get into it. Let's talk about. The cutting edge. So we have essentially six takes over the course of two days. So we'll talk day one first, January 13th, 1965. Three takes. Bob Dylan is pretty much by himself for the first two. I mean, he, well, he's not by himself. There's a bassist, um, but he's playing piano, uh, harmonica, and vocal. It, wait, no, he's playing guitar, guitar and guitar. Uh, and John Sebastian is playing bass. And then on the third take, we have Bruce Langhorn show up, and he puts kind of what we recognize as kind of the, what became the electric spin that he'll do on January 14th. Some talk of the future. My love, she talks softly. She knows there's no success like failure, and failure's no success at all. acoustic versions there although sometimes when bob's left his own devices he does some weird shit like the the tempo and the time signature are like really different like he's and maybe they aren't even it's just so hard to hear it around his his words because he's fitting them in in strange places well he's also i don't think he like fully knows the lyrics they change just very slightly which is to his credit i think again this is another fully fledged song but i mean you're talking about when he's like in dime stores and bus stations people talk of situations yeah it's like you did like this weird so he's like effectively changing the, the time signature because it goes from four four to like six four he's and like i think we're still operating under acoustic guises and half of this record is acoustic this could have been an acoustic song if he didn't make an electric mm-hmm. um and a lot of his you know with god on our side and all of that he'll just extend a verse extend a you know just to sure. keep playing wait so this was though... the first record he had electric guitars mm-hmm. on oh yeah. shit yeah, this was the first song. This opens the cutting edge. So when you start the cutting edge, you get Tom Wilson saying, Dime Store, let's go. Right, yeah, and you yeah. get Bob playing it, which I think is a great opener. And at the end, getting him saying, you know, if I don't, I'll do this one more time. But if I don't get this right, uh, gonna we're going to move on to another song. And then Tom Wilson's like, all right, whatever. God, I love. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. He's like, but I can do it better. He's like, whatever. Yeah, we talked earlier in the week about how listening to The Cutting Edge has been really informative, just like the banter in the studio. Oh, the banter is what you're here for. Bob gets wackier and wackier and like loses touch with reality yeah. as the years go on. And here, I think he is more of a strident, like, I, I know exactly what I want and I know how to achieve it. And if we could just focus, guys, hello, focus. Like, he's yeah. the one in the studio being like, I, okay. I would like to get the song done correctly. Thank you, everybody. And it turns into like, whoa, why can't anybody keep up with me? Whoa, what's going on? This song's about a glass of water, man. Like, <laughs> it really turns into a little bit of a, a wackadoodle. Yeah. I, I would say it's probably the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to put a finger on it. But it's kind of true. I mean, we're also talking about probably of all of the 
prolific days of Bob Dylan, you could say that the next day, January 14th, is is one of those classic productive days. Um, Tom Wilson brought back uh, Bruce Langhorn. It's a little confusing, I think, on how who's actually here. Um, but Tom Wilson would have chosen uh, Bobby Gregg, who plays on a lot of Bob Dylan stuff on this period. This is his first song, first session. Uh, Paul Griffin, the great Paul Griffin, playing piano. First song, first session with Bob. So we're listening to them. First song, first session. Wow. You're walking to a studio on January 14th and you're cutting this. Um, and Bill Lee, but possibly Joe Macho Jr., I don't know who's playing bass on this. And we also have a bunch of other guitarists around. Now, maybe you can pick it out. Are there four guitars? There might be. Okay, I, so my Bob, first note was, are there 600 guitars all right, on so, this song? All right, so there probably is. So Bob Dylan's on vocals and guitar, obviously. Uh, we're going to get the insert with the harmonica. Uh Al Gorgani is on guitar. Kenneth Rankin is on guitar, and Bruce Langhorn's on guitar. Now, yeah, what the, fucked on. Okay, so and what Bruce did before definitely, I mean, he really changed the song with him putting all of that underneath, mm. which was wonderful. So they really, whatever Bob heard there, he's like, "We're doing that," and it was almost instantaneous. You know, he was like, "Let's kick in a drum beat and let's go." Um, and if Tom Wilson, if it's you know, if Tom Wilson was the one who picked Bobby Gregg, I think. Tom is starting to really understand Bob too. Even like going from the acoustic stuff into the electric. It's just, it's really cool for even Tom to just be like, I know the type of people that will work with Bob Dylan. Mm. And I know the potential here, even if I'm snarky as hell uh, on my producer takes. Uh, he's like here to win it. I mean, he's a good producer is, is really what it all comes down to. And Bruce Langhorne said of, of that later on, he said, quote, well, I showed up for these sessions with a pickup, um, with a pickup from my guitar and amp, so there was that much prep. I remember that we didn't do any rehearsal. We just did first takes, and I remember that for what it was, it was amazingly intuitive and successful. Everyone enjoyed playing with everyone else, and Dylan was sort of the thread that kept everything together. His intent and his inertia, in physics terms, was very easy to hook onto. And today he'd record Love Minus Zero, that would go on the record, uh, Bringing It All Back Home, Subterranean Homesick Blues, which we did. Uh, for our first music video month, Outlaw Blues, episode number six. Uh, she Belongs to Me, which is another excellent classic and personal favorite of mine, Bob Dylan's 115th Dream. He did all those on this All day. of those. Not only, I mean, he's played lots of songs on days before, but to have them all make a record, they're all on bringing it all back home is incredible. Wow. So that's amazing to listen to on, you know, disc two or whatever of the cutting edge. So, uh, so this is amazing. I think that all of these takes are really, really they're very similar, the, the one and two, but you can definitely tell that take one is like almost there. It's like so close. And then take two is obviously the perfection that I think most people would say when they listen to the song. It's is that the actual, song. it's not the same exact length as the no. one that's on the album, but it sounds like the same. Yeah, they don't, I, I think that that's the part of the cutting edge too. It's like, we're going to get it up to the point where like the final doctoring and stuff is not part of what we're doing. So, yeah. And that's the whole thing about the insert, right? So, I mean, this was, was if you like ever think about like, Oh, I don't know if I want the cutting edge or whatever, because you know, it is just a lot of takes of stuff. This is the reason you get the cutting edge. This is one of my favorite moments in the entire thing. Tom take three insert the gang in the background. Wait a minute. Where are we going? Insert, insert what? (laughs) And Tom, it's just what we call the fade. And then the gangs, do we do it from the beginning or just the fade? And then they're like, oh, thank you. Thank you for telling us. Uh, And then everyone's like bantering. And then someone asks, like, uh, is it cool if I come in? Like a real question. Like I play something that is that going to mess up the fade? And he's like, I heard it. That's fine. Straight ahead. And then Bob. (laughs) 
I have no idea. I'm just going to stand here and play the harmonica. That's right. You can't just... Hey, Greg, just set a tempo. You know where the chord is, Paul. And Dylan played the harmonica. Let's not make a big thing out of it. Insert one, take one. Go. One, two. One, two, three. And then the fade plays. And they don't and even then, put in the you. song. And then thank you. Exactly. That was just incredible. Yeah, so... Well, and I was also like, is he fucking with the mixing board? Like, is Tom doing that? Tom, or are Tom's they literally, fading. Okay, I was like, Tom's fading. Or yeah. are they just playing quieter and quieter? I was like, that's real impressive. <laughs> no, but I did learn I did learn a, a term. Yeah, because he said, I told you while I was out there, instentorian tones. Well, I told you when I was out there, instentorian tones. Oh. And I was like, that. instant. And I kept looking it up. And I, I searched Google for instentorium, like instentorian tones. And it has nothing. No one in the world has ever Googled that. So I was like, man, you don't get a like non-Googleable thing every day. Uh, but no, stentor- stentorian tones means extremely loud. Yeah, Tom. Just he oh, was so like, he meant quiet. I, he said, I went out. I told you while I was out there in stentonian tones. So, so that he, would be the opposite of. No, I told you loudly. I told you all loud when I was out there because they're like, what do we do? And he's like, I told you. I told you when I was because he's exasperated. He's like, I told you when I was out there in stentonian tones. Which like who would ever say that today? Does he play loud guy, but that's pretty great. Yeah, so so that means extremely loud. Wow. So we sometimes get two Stentonian tones here. Sure do. Especially when I yell, mix up confusion. Oh, but you don't do that anymore. No, I don't do that anymore. So then he also played this multiple times in 1965. He played it at the Newport Folk Festival, played it at Forest Hills and the Hollywood Bowl shows, played it at Carnegie uh, on July 1st. Uh, So this was definitely a staple of his early repertoire. We listened to a couple of audience recordings from the bootlegs. Well, no, I guess not bootleg series from the live in 66 compendium, all 36 concerts um, on on CD. What did we? What did you think about any of those? The sixty-six recordings. The sixty-six recordings. They sounded haunted, and they all sounded exactly the same. The, yeah, well, they were. They were the same tour. They so were. That's fair. Uh, White Plains, New York, on February fifth. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, February sixth. Um, and Hempstead, New York, on February twenty-sixth. So weirdly, he didn't take that to Europe. So he played in the U.S. first. Uh, went to Australia. Went to Europe. Sort of, you know. And the sixty-six tour is the famous Judas. You know that. Uh, so he didn't play this because he, you know, he played an electric set and an acoustic set. This was not part of it. His, his acoustic set, which is kind of crazy because mm. this song is great. But yeah, it was, it's weird to hear the banter of the audience, which I guess is cool. Yeah. And how quiet they get when he starts. You know, that reverence that you always hear about everybody going super silent when he, which is like hard to imagine today. Even at artists like this today, people are still chatting mm. off in the corner. So it's weird that everyone is quiet. But it's definitely hard to hear. Yes. Uh, these are not, um, you know, from the board. These are from <laughs> some guy in the back. Right. And they really do feel like they're like recorded on the bar. Like someone at the bar just like hit record and like the, the show is happening all the way across mm-hmm. the other side. Mm-hmm. And you're just barely picking up this this man singing a song. Yeah. Haunted. But you can kind of hear it. You can yeah. certainly hear all of it. It was, it was definitely like a cool 
uh, thing. A cool to, thing uh, to hear. Right. Yeah. Uh, concert for Bangladesh. He played that in 1971 and then Rolling Thunder. So we, we did Rolling Thunder on episode 26, which you can go back and listen to, which would be kind of cool. I didn't go back and listen, but you probably, I wonder what you said about this at the time. Who knows? You probably liked it. Um, it was a great song, great voice for that. So the version that we listened to was the one that was on the, the Bootleg Series Volume 5. Oh, so we, this is one. Yeah, yeah. but well, we listened to, this would be the Rolling Thunder Review Live in 75 that came out last year with the movie, which you can listen to Supplemental Series Volume 6 when we watched the movie. So if you're curious for more, more from us. It's, that, that's probably my favorite, well, I mean, that's definitely my favorite live version. Mm-hmm. Um, that Rolling Thunder one that, that's on the, the Live in 75 thing. Right. Story. Uh, I think the studio version is going to be my favorite. Yeah. It's hard to, hard to but like every time I hear him sing from the Rolling Thunder tour, I'm like, what happened? Did you forget? Did you forget that, t- that you could do that? I know. Like, how did you achieve? Like, this is it. This is my plateau. Uh-huh. I have reached peak Bob Dylan. I am now on a fucking drastic descent into yeah. darkness. Why? How, how did he forget he could sing that good? I know. It's crazy. And I wish we had the whole rehearsal, the, the rehearsal. Oh, that was cool that. to hear Scarlett. I was like, ah. Oh. I know. She's, just, she's there. And just like at the end, you know, who's marking these down? Anybody? I mean, it's just so slapdash. I, I kind of love that. Yeah, it's recorded at SIR Studio, which is a studio still, and it is a, um, it's more of like a, a national business. So there are SIRs, uh, studio instrument rentals, all over the place. So these are like rehearsal spaces, or they'll land out guitars if you need them. There is one in Portland, no uh, Southeast 34th off of Hawthorne, behind the Cha-Cha-Cha Taqueria, hmm. two blocks down from uh, Cup and Saucer. Jackbox, oh, hey. uh, Jackpot Records, and three blocks down from the Waffle Window, I and probably another couple blocks up to the Hawthorne Theater. Love the Waffle Window. Waffle, and then you keep going, you get to the Hawthorne Theater. Okay. So yeah, it's right there on Hawthorne. If you ever need to pick up an instrument, and record, and re- well, okay. just probably a rehearsal space, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So uh, it is a thing. So Bob Dylan just uh, ducked into the New York studio here with all of his peeps and. They had a bunch of fun. So that's a lot of fun. We'll listen to a lot more stuff from that rehearsal stuff because it is weird. Even the way they were singing that, they never... Oh, this pro- scream singing was incredible. And and this song really doesn't change, which is maybe a testament to how good the song is. But even he plays it now. Well, he hasn't played it since 2012. But when he was playing it for the Never Ending Tour, it stayed the same. Like this one, this is one of those songs by Bob that just never changed. Which I think means he got it right. Like, perfectly got it right. Nothing to, to add here, but when they were doing those screaming, singing stuff. So fun. It's like, I get it. You're trying to change it, but clearly it didn't work. Yeah. So we're not going to do it, which I'm glad at least he recognized that. And then finally, we ended with um, uh, Live at Budokan, which we have to do. Uh, now, I'm actually excited because I like the flutes, man. Flutes. There's a fucking flute and a violin. Clinton Halen said, ultra keen to perform it live at this point. Um, after after he kind of like uh, rewoke to it in, in the Rolling Thunder, he was like, I can't wait to play this. So he played it all over the 78 tour and sort of solidified it as a classic. But he said, ultra keen to perform it live. He has made it an acoustic evergreen from this point forward, save one incarnation with a not-so-magic flute on the 1978 oh, world tour. What a hater! Come on, Clinton. Come on. Tumbling to one another My love winks, she doesn't bother She knows 
I'm into it. I'm totally into this version. And like while I have not listened to the entire Budokan album, we have had many tracks from it. And this is by far the best one so far. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, it's tough because that's from 78 tour. But we've listened to cuts from other shows on the 78 tour with our sax and with all of our stuff. Okay. That's with everything, all the instruments. But this is pared down for what it's worth. Yeah. Flutes be damned. But got a couple strings in, in the flute. But yeah, it's wonderful. It's good. It's good. You can't fuck it up. And then, like I said, he's played it. Never ending tour. Uh, he played it for Unplugged, but it didn't make it onto the onto the TV. So we didn't watch it there. I already talked about the music, so let's talk about the lyrics. I want to get into the song itself. We're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to talk about what we think is going on. And I'm going to throw out some stuff that we're going to dive into later um, that we'll talk about maybe after. Uh, before we even start, what do you... For you, what what do we think is going on with this song? So this was a real roller coaster for me. Mm-hmm. This this song, listening to it, because usually, like my process for this podcast is, uh, <laughs> I, I listen to it multiple times throughout the week, obviously on our playlist and stuff. And it kind of just, I just kind of have it on, which is the whole point of the playlist uh-huh. is to just have an hour of music that I can just right. do my live my life, but have Bob Dylan there sometimes. Right. Once you get done with Stone Sour, it goes right back to this. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so at first it was the the words weren't getting in. It was just the music. And the yeah. music's great. It's like it's pretty. It's straightforward. It's it's repetitive, but you never notice, which is impression impressive when you can pull that off. I think that speaks to the length of the song being you know under three minutes. Oh, and like you can just sit down and be like, oh, let me listen to the drums on this go. Let me listen to that. Guitar. Yeah, yeah. Let me listen to this bit. The yeah, music's great. Really good. Um, but once I like looked at the lyrics and listened to the song, I was like, oh, I hate this. Mm. I hate this song. I hate this song. This sucks. Yeah, I was oh. like. I just was like, I couldn't, un- I couldn't not hear it with all the, she's not like other girls bullshit. And it just had this like it instant is. misogynist lean to it. And I was just like, this is so bad. And then, and that's why I was like, that was me like yesterday all day. Oh, and wow. then I was like, okay, let me just reassess. And I was thinking of like, just like a woman. And I was thinking of all this. Sure. I was like, okay. So I was like. Shelter from the storm. Let, yeah, yeah. Let me try to listen to this. Maybe not so cynically. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it, that criticism is totally valid. It's and absolutely worth, there. Uh, mentioning. But I also think that there is some, just like somebody, like if you try to t- remove it, it always helps me when I imagine a woman is singing it. That helps me a lot. So when I did that, <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, the narrator can be. There's no reason. Yeah, there's no reason why it can't be. Why can't yeah. be. So I was like, okay, maybe this isn't as a vicious takedown of all women at large who aren't this particular woman. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of like a, a little love song. With the exception of, we can get into the lyrics now, but yeah, yeah. Uh, the first couple lines. Okay. Those are irredeemable to me. Okay. So let's let's talk, let's talk get into it. Yeah. So verse one, my love, she speaks like silence without ideals or violence. That's it. That's the one. Yeah. No, I got, I, I, <laughs> I, I know what you're up to. Uh, she doesn't have to say she's faithful, yet she's true like ice, like fire. A dope Game of Thrones reference. I wonder how, <laughs> how much HBO put in to have that. Uh, people carry roses and make promises by the hour. My love, she laughs like the flowers. Valentine's can't buy her. So I know exa- I know what you're 
what you're feeling. Uh, the first instinct immediately for me is, yeah, the, the what is it, Manic Pixie Dream Girl yep, vibe. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. She's not like other girls. Exactly. She's so unique. She doesn't care about the roses and Valentines mm-hmm. and Hallmark. Um, yeah, so I think uh, I think one way, just like with all the others, just like a woman, Shelter from the Storm, Sarah especially, um, I think, well, and actually Clinton Halen says, he, uh, he could have named the song Sarah, but he wanted <laughs> to save that one. So for what it's worth, I mean, this song is about Sarah and that's, and this is a better song than fucking Sarah. But I also like this the song, even just like talking about somebody like that, I just see it as like the narrator being in awe that this person I guess it's never I guess it's never said that this person actually loves them. Like he no. loves them. Uh, so, obviously that doesn't matter. <laughs> well, and so that's the thing. So I mean I kind of when I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh, it's like the miracle of love, the miracle of, of just being in love, of or of somebody loving you and you are like, How does this perfect person love me who is scum? why do I deserve her? But now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, yeah, maybe they're not even together. Who knows? That's a fun wrinkle. Uh, Robert Shelton is first um, in the first biography, no direction home by Bob Dylan of Bob Dylan. I uh, said, quote, Dylan still dreamed of a faithful woman wise enough to avoid all the entrapping games of neurotic competitive love. The title borrowed from a gambling parlance, Hey, gambling uh, suggests all love is a wager. But obviously that makes you think of the lover, the woman, the mother lover hag mm-hmm. trope that we we have talked to death and we've talked about on Shelter from the Storm. So that's episode 65. So if you want to hear us talk about that, which I think informs a lot of what, because we're not going to talk about it here. Because I don't think, I think that the rest of the song doesn't bear it out is maybe right. mainly my point. The rest of the song doesn't bear it out. Bob Dylan becomes, I think, more of that as time goes on. But here, he, um, I think he's, he's self-aware or he's not even thinking on that level that he will get to later. Yeah, I, that's what like, I finally came back around to yeah. when the roller coaster, you know, yeah, yeah. even back out. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really I let go a lot of that. And I, I think it is more just like this person. I really like this person. I think mm-hmm. they're special and cool. Well, and those, and those ideas, the opposites are, are beautiful. I mean, this, this speaks like silence. She's true like ice, like fire. Valentine's can't buy her. Like, I mean, all of those things are like, in verses. And I think anybody that you're in love with, you want to feel like they're special. You want to feel like they're, they're different. Like there's a reason why they're not just part of everyone else. Right. You want to, you want to feel like it's special. I don't know. Well, that that's why that line, particularly without ideals or violence uh, is the one that really sticks as not being able to have a kind lean to it because there's no sure. other. Inter- <laughs> well, see when I first heard, when I was just listening to lyrics about looking at them, I thought he said without ideas of violence, which is a better line because that's not saying I like that she's vapid and doesn't talk a lot because I hate when women speak their mind well, and ha- or have morals. Uh, that that's just like I, without ideas of like she's a kind person. That's great. But when you're saying without ideals, meaning like morals or thoughts or ways of life. Well, in take two, he says above ideals or violence. But see, ideals, it's like I know he's trying to be like she's not a zealot for anything. Right, she's, right. Yeah, but. It, to me, that when I hear ideals, it means like I have no moral code. I yeah, have yeah. nothing to stand up for. Right. I have nothing in my head. Yeah. And it's like. No, that's, I think that's, I think that's absolutely what's yeah. being portrayed there. Verse two. <laughs> in the dime stores and bus stations, people talk of situations, read books, repeat quotations, draw conclusions on the wall. So people are just living their life at this point, right? People just be going about their own business, right. reading stuff. They read, they quote in quotations, as he says in take one. Um, but then we have our our girl who takes the quotations, you know, famous stuff like uh, there is no success like failure. Right. We all know that. We've all heard that before. But man, she's such she's such a savant that she's like, but failure's not great. And it's like, 
Wait, so failure is dumb? She is so cool. She took it to a whole nother level. No one's ever thought this before, and she's amazing. And look, as somebody who has thought that about people, I I get that. I get that. It's fine. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I I hope that when he's saying the quotations line specifically that he's lumping himself in with that because yeah th- well i think so well i think it's also talking about what we do when we talk about love the valentine stuff the hallmarkification right i mean th- these are also tropes which i will talk about in a little bit from now but like reading books repeating quotations i feel like he's saying platitudes we're creating platitudes we have cliches in our culture this is what love is we're creating cliches we go out into the world and propagate those cliches in the hope of finding somebody that also believes the cliche and we get together and we can be what we what we think of as love mm-hmm. um, and then draw conclusions on the wall is interesting um, because there's dark undertones to this, which I hope to get into in a separate podcast. But um, the book of Daniel, that's mm-hmm. right. Hey, that's that's right. That's right. My book. <laughs> My book speaks of uh, of a downfall of a ruler so daniel comes in to to basically read a quote on the wall that portends to the doom of the person who is at this feast throwing this party and i think if you read it like that then the rest of the apocalyptic scenarios that follow in verse three and verse four which get way darker and also way off topic i thought we were talking about our love it makes a little bit more sense. So I don't know if he's drawing directly from the book of Daniel, but it does come up later on as well. So I find that pretty interesting. And then some, some, some speak of the future. My love though, she speaks softly. She knows there's no success like failure and that failure is no success at all. I do love that line. I love the way that he sings it. I love when you first hear the song for the first time, these things feel really nice. I think the way that he sings it is really lovely. That opening line, as much as like you can just dive into that all day, it's a beautiful opener. Well, that's what I'm it's really when evocative. I first You're heard like, the oh. song, I didn't catch any of it. It's like, this is a beautiful song. Yeah. And so the, the, the she knows there's no success like failure and the failure is no success at all. It does remind me of stuff like Sarah reminds me of these like throwaway lines that future Dylan will do. Sure. But later and like just yeah. like a woman and stuff and, and one of us must know there's always those lines of just like. Right. You know, you you were sorry. I've been mean because this whole song, but you were a real person. Like, I know. I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. Right. So so for me, the song is kind of like it. I don't know. It fleshes out the character a little bit more, and I think you got to read through the lines to be like, okay, maybe I I love her because of the intellect, or she sees through the type of the, she sees the world the same way that I do. You know, failure is no success, but also failure sucks. Like, why can't we live in a world where both of those things are real? So John Keats, who um, was a, a huge influence on Bob Dylan. Is that a poet? He's a poet uh, from the 1800s. Mm. So you know. Relevant. This is, this is your part. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Keats uh, wrote a letter to his brother George and Thomas. You know George and Thomas. Keats. Keats. Yeah, I know them uh, He's talking about negative capability. Uh, he wrote, talking about Shakespeare, he says, quote, I mean negative capability. That is when a man is capable of being an uncertain uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. The Poetry Foundation says um, that this was a theory basically about the artist's access to truth without the pressure and framework of logic or science. They go on to say, the poet then has a power to bury self-consciousness, dwell in a state of openness to all experience and identify with the object contemplated. The inspirational power of beauty, according to Keats, is more important than the quest for the objective fact. As he writes in his Ode to a Grecan Urn, quote, beauty is truth, truth, beauty. That is all ye know on earth and all ye need to know. Oh, so, so the, so the journey like, is more important than the destination, right? Or in, in, or additionally, uh, that like 
we shouldn't let beautiful things or uh, like appreciating beautiful things in the world be uh, hemmed yeah. by factor science or stuff like that. Sometimes you just yeah, like yeah. stuff and you don't have to have a reason. This is basically validation. True. true. Well, and it's also like, uh, yeah, why, you know, sort of why, yeah, why is this beautiful? There, there's not really an objective reason why things yeah. are beautiful. It's all cultural. You're told that this skin color, this bone structure, this whatever is right. more attractive than the other. And that just is not true. Uh, but the negative capabilities, I think when he brings it up with, with, um, with Shakespeare is just the, the ability of language too to sort of cut through all of that. You know, you don't need a real reason to explain why things are the way they are. And it sort of speaks to the oppositeness, speaking in opposites, things that don't really make a lot of sense, you know? Because if you were given this logical reading, it speaks like silence, what's that? Oh, sure. You're out immediately, right. right? That doesn't make any sense. I'm done. I can't deal with this. <laughs> uh, but for somebody who's open to it, it's like, oh, I know exactly what you're saying. I know what I know exactly. What's going on here? Verse three, we all of a sudden take a twist. The cloak and dagger dangles. Madams light the candles and ceremonies of the horsemen. Even the pawn must hold a grudge. Getting some real seven curses vibes we here. We couldn't, couldn't get through a song without mentioning a fucking brothel. That's cool. Oh, no, I didn't take it that way. But what is a, that's what madams are, dude. Sure. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but madams, you're madam. You're just the lady on the street. See, for me, it's, I, I think there's not, again, not enough context for yeah, that. Yeah, I know, but that's what, this was part of the roller coaster. Seven curses. <laughs> seven curses vibe. Gotcha. Can you, do you agree with that? I know we've fought about seven curses vibes in the past. Yeah. Our cloaks, cloak and dagger, again, no technology, cloak and daggers, candles, horseman ceremonies, pawns. I mean, pawns being like, See, you know, just normal people. I think we're going back even further. I think this is, this is like, we're doing 14, I know. 15 hundred stuff. <sighs> You, so you're telling me today cloaks and daggers don't exist or dangle? Well, I don't know what does and does not dangle. But I, what I do know is that the Cue idea... The, <laughs> the idea... Well, you really are an old-fashioned boy, aren't you? Well, I, I don't dangle a corkscrew from my head. That's not where I dangle it. Uh, like the horseman in the pond really evokes like a 1400s English Tudor vibe to me. Uh, it, 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 yes, I, I, I totally. And it really is a future inductee of the Seven Curses universe all on the Watchtower. It's an all on the yes, Watchtower. There you vibe, go. For yeah. sure. Which I would say is the Seven Curses vibe. It no. is a midi, It's a medieval type of song, yes. but it's definitely. Ah. Seven Curses is firmly in the 1800s and we both know it. Okay. We both know it's firmly in the 1800s in the American West. Can we it at least also, agree on that? It could also be an apocalyptic world oh, of <laughs> outside of time where this stuff is happening all over again, just in a different world where riders are riding up on different fortifications that aren't even. Okay. They don't have to be Europe. It doesn't have to be castles. Get your head out of your ass, Kelly. It's going to say clouds and it just didn't. Um, I read on Genius that somebody said that this is a reference to the dagger dangling. Uh, well, one sort immediately, of Damocles. Yeah, sort of Damocles. But one, somebody else was like, I think this is a sexual undo undo. I was like, hard pass. Uh, but yeah, sort of Damocles. And I was like, I don't really know what that is, but I have watched Rocky Horror many times. Oh, okay. So it's just, that was fine. The sword of Damocles is hanging over my head. And I've got the feeling someone's going to be cutting the thread. Me. My life is a misery. Oh, I can't you see that I'm the sound of a pretty big 
hanging over my head. Yeah. And that's, I was going to bring that up. So, oh, you were? Yeah, I was, absolutely. So, so yes. I didn't really know this, but the Sword of Damocles is, uh, Damocles was a courtier in the court of Dionysus II of Syracuse in Sicily. In, so in the 4th in century BC, so a long York. time ago. Okay, you're going to say that again. Yeah, uh, Syracuse, Sicily. Yes. In the 4th century BC. Is it who Damocles is? Damocles is a courtier in the court of Dionysus II. What's a courtier? He's just part of the court, part of the royal court. Okay, yeah. so... So he's a Varys type of character for during... keeping up with the song, with the show that will not be named. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. Gotcha. So he's just there, he's just yes. a person. And he was like, yo, dude, it'd be cool to be a king. It'd be straight <laughs> up real cool. And uh, Dionysus is like, yeah, all right. You be a king, be a king for a day. And he's like, um, it, okay. So when Damocles uh, said he desired this, Dionysus gave orders to the man to be placed on a golden couch covered with the most beautiful woven rug, uh, woven rug embroidered with splendid works. He adorned many sideboards with chased silver and gold. Then he gave orders that chosen boys of outstanding beauty should stand by his table and that they watching for a sign of Damocles should attentively wait on him. Mm-hmm. There were ungents and garlands. There were ungents and garlands. Perfumes were burning. Tables were piled up with the most select feuds, uh, foods. Damocles seemed to himself fortunate. In the middle of this luxury, Dionysus ordered that a shining sword, fastened by the ceiling with horsehair, be let down so that it hung over the neck of that fortunate man. And so he looked neither at those handsome waiters nor the beautiful silver work, nor did he stretch his hand to the table. Now the very wreath slipped off. Finally, he begged the tyrant that he should not that he should be allowed to depart because he no longer wanted to be fortunate. Mm, careful what you wish for, buddy. Careful what you wish for, but also power is not what you think it is. Mm. Um, with you, you think it's just a party, but there is responsibility right. here. And uh, you know, even for a tyrant king or whatever, it's like I could get beheaded tomorrow. So because it represents like paranoia and like pressure and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So in this case, the cloak and dagger dangling. Do you think it's? That? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. There's no other dagger. There's no other. That's a sword, man. Why is a sword <laughs> hanging? So, yeah, I, I think that it, that's what it means. I think it. I think it's just a reference to 1965. I think it's a reference to the danger that's coming on. I think the madams are old school. They're lighting candles like, you know, women do in church. They're sort of like, I hope that we can preserve the flame of, of this time. We're, we're from the past. We want to preserve this flame. We don't want things to change. Uh, and then ceremonies to the horse, horsemen, even the pawn must hold a grudge. I can see that as like like the state. The ceremonies of the horsemen are like the, the United States government. I don't know. And the pawn, sure, yeah. just us. Well, congratulations. We hold a grudge. The richer in power or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so we're even we're holding a grudge. The world is hardening, I guess is the point. The world is in flux. The world is changing. The world is hardening. So all of a sudden, Bob Dylan was singing about love. And now, now he's singing about the world is changing. What the fuck is up with that? <laughs> Statues made of matchsticks crumble into one another. My love winks. She does not bother. She knows too much to argue or to judge. And see, I think you could get cynical with that line, but that one does not bother me at all. The she knows too much to argue to judge because I think it does speak to wisdom to know when to not engage. Mm-hmm. Like some people, they're going to go off and say some fucking crazy shit and you don't have to jump in there. I mean, don't get me wrong. If somebody's doing some fucked up shit, you should intervene. But it's like, sometimes it's better to just be like, all right, dude, see you later. And, that, <laughs> like, and a lot of people talk about the Zen. So the Zen speaks like silence, no success like failure. This is another one. She knows too much to argue or to judge. I get what you're saying. I, I tend to agree with that, too. It's like a transcendental feeling about eternal souls and stuff like that. But it can be kind of deduced, if you wanted to be mean about it, into a sort of callousness of like, oh, wink, I don't really care. Who cares? Who cares about 
memory being lost and people people being you know taken down or whatever nothing matters who cares who or am it I could to also say be like she's touch? she's not smart enough to engage in those conversations that, but then that's yeah. probably also too yeah and he's like uh i think i wrote yeah um and he he the the narrator defends the general callousness uh because he finds it hot mm-hmm so, <laughs> and the statues made of matchsticks that crumble into one another is another from the book of Daniel. But I, I think more of it in terms of like Ozymandias. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed and on the pedestal these words appear my name is ozymandias king of kings look on my works ye mighty and despair Nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Everything's gone. It's transitory. It doesn't matter. Um, And that's what Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar. So he was told by Daniel that he sees in the future that he's going to build um, buildings of precious stone. He's going to spend all this time and money building this these these um artifices to his own grandeur and they will crumble because god is the only grandeur and so he humbles himself before god and says all right i won't do it i don't need to do it verse four bridge at midnight trembles the country doctor rambles the country doctor rambles bankers nieces seek perfection expecting all the gifts that wise men bring is it just pretty? That's the thing. It's very it's pretty. Like, it's it's just, oh, it's very so pretty. The like country pretty doctor. Stuff. The country doctor is such a fun, like, evocative thing. You know, walking across the trembling bridge. You know, we've all driven across bridges that have felt. Mm-hmm. So it's like imagine being out there, especially with the stormy weather that's coming. You're like, you can see the storm coming, and you're like, ooh, this bridge is trembling. Uh, apparently, the banker's nieces seek perfection is from uh, Henry James's novel, The Portrait of a Portrait of a Lady. Uh, from 1880, 1881, it was serialized in the Atlantic Monthly in 1881, and then released as a book. Um, it concerns a young woman who inherits a bunch of money, but it's hard. Life's hard. <laughs> but but inheriting it is difficult? Yeah, it's real hard to have that much money. <laughs> oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, it features characters named Isabel. Mm, sure. Lydia. Okay. Daniel. Hey, popular Hallie. name. Ralph. Lord Warburton. Okay. Casper Goodwood. Hey. <laughs> Gilbert Osmond. And Osmond's daughter, Pansy. Wow. Of course. Very subtle. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, essentially, I mean, the novel, uh, not to get into it at all, and I have not read it, but I, I read a synopsis of it. Um, it kind of deals with some of the same things going on here, um, especially the ending. The ending is very ambiguous as to whether... Um, this person does something or not. And I think that this song also has that sort of an ending where you don't know what the person's going to do. So we need to get to the ending so that we can unpack all of that. The wind howls like a hammer. The night blows cold and rainy. My love. She's like some Raven at my window with a broken wing. Lovely. I think a lot of people would say that's one of their, 
one of their favorites. That's so lovely. What a wonderful end to a song. It seems so disparate. Yeah, this song's all over the shop. Right? <laughs> so what? So the shift. We shifted to nature, cold winds, howling rains. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of nature showing up to be like, fuck you. I'm here. And it kind of like changes the story, right? So what the fuck's going on um, with this raven with the broken wing? Yeah, because the it seems the object of the narrator's affection has gone from vacant goddess to damaged bird. <laughs> so, well, I think that's pretty easy. You know, who's the raven, right? Who's the damaged who's the damaged bird, Kelly? The vacant goddess, I know. The girl, yeah. Yeah, but like, what happened? What happened? What happened to her? Well, I guess she could go through the storms of life or whatever. <laughs> a lot guess. of people um, subscribe, which I don't think is wholly wrong, to like the muse theory. Like, he's not talking about a woman or even love, but just kind of like what it is to write and create art, you know, the muse that you follow. So like the raven with a broken wing in the muse theory is kind of like how how inspiration comes to you, right? It just kind of shows up one day. Is the raven, if that is muse, the muse, will it only show up or stay during stormy weather? Like when you're at your most volatile? Um, Or is the muse something that you can mend? Like it's always there, but you have to fix it up so that it becomes a great piece of art. Like, and are you supposed to do that? Right. So we leave it just like Portrait of a Lady, the original um, serialization of it. He did fix the ending. But the original ending of Portrait of a Lady, you don't know what, which I think made it kind of exhilarating at the time, was that you didn't know. You were faced with two outcomes. One of them was to go back to a family, um, possibly look over a, a child, Pansy, and have her lead a life that you didn't. Right. You can help her lead, not lead the life that you did. Or you can go off with the guy that you just made out with who professed your love to you. And people have commented that it was like the only time she ever felt any sort of sexual rush in her life. Like the way she responded to him at the end of the novel, but she chose in the end at the beginning, it was ambiguous. You didn't know what she chose. She just walked away and he revised it later to say that she went off with the family, but we're going to stay at the ambiguity because I think with the broken wing, right? We leave it ambiguous. What does he do with the Raven? Does he pick it back up? Does he pick it up? Does he bring it in? Does he nurse it back to health? Does he watch it? Does he let it go? Does he push it out the fucking window? (laughs) You know, I just, I I think it's interesting. You know, what becomes of the Raven and what became comes of your own life. If you let it go or don't let it go. And obviously the Raven is, is definitely a Edgar Allan Poe. Shout out. It's also just a bird. It can just be a bird. It's definitely not just a bird. <laughs> and also Raven is a, you know, a, a, a portent of, of death. So that's not good. You don't want that. <laughs> you don't want that in your window. That's not if good. If anybody's seen Treehouse of Horror, you know, you got to Bart as the as the bird. Homer's trying to. Wow. Tree Wars, Bart. Treehouse of Horror reference. The, the original one. Yes. The first, the very first one. Iconic. Um, Isn't it just like a raven with his head? With his head, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And they write the episode in the same, you know, obviously. Right. And you've heard the raven. Everybody's heard the raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis a visitor, I muttered, a tapping on my chamber door. Only this. Are we scared yet? Bart, he's establishing mood. Ah, distinctly I remember. It was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow. Huh? Huh? Sorrow for the lost Lenore. Oh, Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. 
once upon a midnight dreary while I kicked it lit in Leary something. MC Lars yes. from Mr. Raven from yeah. the laptop EP. Yeah, so lots of <laughs> lots of references to the Raven Simpsons, uh, Queens Nevermore. Lou Reed has an album called The Raven. Grateful Dead, of course, turned the entire poem into a fucking musical rendition because, of course, they would. Uh, but it's also been in uh, Metamorphosis. They talked about Ravens before. So it's not just Edgar Allan Poe, but I think Poe is definitely the preeminent Raven dude. The Ravens named themselves the football team after fucking Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, because yeah, he's in Baltimore. He, well, he lived in Baltimore and he died in Baltimore, so... Uh, he's buried in Baltimore. And uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, quoth the Raven nevermore. Like, good shit. So, Kelly, in the end, we have a song that turns from my love into an apocalypse um, and a Raven at the very end. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck. What? 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 Doesn't matter. Nope. Does the song work in 2020? I think so. I mean, another one of the ambiguous classic. Uh, I'm saying things for the sake of saying them because they're pretty. And that's what I'm thinking at the moment. So yeah. that can transcend. And like I said, musically, it's it's really pretty. Uh, problematic, sure. If you keep the lyrics the same, again, I feel like you get away with a lot of this if you just change it to a lady singing it. Yeah. Just also, I I just think the ambiguity is just you just can't. I think you can bring that if you want to, but I don't think the text bears it out any of it. I think the text is actually a, a critique on it, if anything, emotionally. I think <laughs> setting the tone early with that shitty line really colored the experience for me. Sure, um, but does it have to be shitty? I mean, no, the, the ideals it. are violence. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, you have a problem with that. But yeah. it speaks like silences. I mean, that's just an opposite of the truth. It's just that's a that's a nice line. Well, yeah, no, the ideals are even like, yeah. without ideals. Is right, there, but I mean, is much yeah, point I hate. So man, if we just I'm change it to you. the word I'm... without ideas of violence, fixed. Mm. The song is not fixed. I know, but that, but he that's not how he wrote it. So anyway, does it work? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> well, I think of this song as as an understated, subtle critique of love. I think that he's talking about our collective cultural sense of love with our, you know, gifts that we give one another, um, holidays that we have, you know, St. Valentine's, Camp Byer, you know, those are all, I think, very intentional, including the idealization of our partners. Like, he starts off the song idealizing this person. My love. Speaks like silence Without ideals or violence She doesn't have to say she's faithful Yet she's true like ice Like fire In fact, he loses interest in the song He stops, He's, he turns the song He pivots immediately to apocalyptic imagery Before at the end returning to the subject with the Raven, who's clearly a stand-in for the lady. Uh, and he's like, oh, shit. I forgot what I, I, forgot was what I was doing. <laughs> uh, but he sees her differently. Now, it's kind of interesting because I, I don't know if he's seeing her later. I say he, but the narrator. I don't know if the narrator is seeing her later or seeing her still in the moment, right? He was idealizing her. And then something happened, like the stormy weather passed over his head, and now he sees her differently. Well, he started having hallucinations about fucking or, nights and shit. So, yeah. Or she comes back into his life, right? So this happens later, right. or she shows back up later with a broken wing, you know, just as a different person. Hey, start it again. Now I'll do this one more time. If I can't do it, we'll do another song. Okay, rolling to. Do any song as good as I can do it the first time. You would like, have to think that time had passed. I mean, that's the only way that it makes sense to me, but why? Yeah. And so for me, ultimately, love, my love, starting off the song with my love, is limited. The The world is ever shifting. He's not just dreaming of fucking 
into castles and knights. Those are stand-ins for what's happening in the real world. And I think he's saying that our love may feel like something, but ultimately it's untested. It's shallow. Uh, even for somebody that rejects the trappings of love, the Valentines, the hallmarkification of it all, that's commodified itself, consumerized itself, right? We have the Manic Pixie Dream Girl as a as a new stand-in right. for this because she rejects all of that. But that rejection, just like counterculture in the 60s, got turned into a commercial thing. Right. So even doing that is still tainted. And in some ways, I think Bob, even the zenness of it, if you want to say that, you got to reconcile with the fact that even rejecting it is you yourself are tainted by it, no matter what. Um, can what we feel stand up to storms? Can they stand up to danger, intrigue, death? What's being uh, advanced by the cloak and dagger dangling? Which I think we all have a cloak and dagger dangling on our own lives, right? We're all going to die. That's what living life is. We're, we can go at any second. And like Isabel at the end of Portrait of a Lady, at the original one, we don't know if she's going to go a certain way or not. And I think it's um, it's incredible to... Think of him seeing the raven, the harbinger of death, and nursing it back to life, or or not, or letting it go. Um, I think that's a powerful end, and sort of implying that what that that is more of love, even just seeing injured people, vulnerable people, and we made it through the storm, right? This is the object that made it through life's storms. I don't know what the narrator is going to do with the raven, or even if the, if the raven is not just a raven. And he's just noticing it like the storms. He just notices a raven as well. But whatever happened, if the raven is not actually the woman and the woman, the woman is gone at that point, the woman is gone. So whatever little trifling love that he felt by putting a woman up on a pedestal, it did not survive life, the life that went on. He's still by himself. He's with himself. The storms keep going. They may be stopped. But when we end this song, the storms are still going, man. The night is still cold and rainy. So hopefully the raven is somebody that will bring the narrator comfort, but we don't know. And I love that ambiguity. It's a very, I don't know, I see it as kind of a, a sad song. It's a sad, weird song. I think he, he idealizes actually having love, which I think a lot of artists do. They want to, they want to feel something. I don't know. I want to know what love is. I want to know what love is. I want you is. to show me. <laughs> so I don't know. That's just my my trying to definitely read in way too far into this. But I think I, it's I think it's a lovely, lovely song. I think it stands up completely. And like a lot of it, it's just it's just what you bring to it. And seeing Bob as a full character, which we hope to do on this show. That's yeah. why you listen to the show. I relate mostly to the last line because the last couple lines because I certainly have yeah. a penchant for picking up damaged damaged people right and i think a lot <laughs> i think a lot of people do yeah. so i'm just so it, but it, i think bob might be saying that that's okay and in fact the injuries and the vulnerabilities are i'm probably a broken raven too and we're both <laughs> broken ravens on the stoop together we made it through the storm and now we're, we're broken stoop ravens and now we're perfect and now this love <laughs> this love is more is more lasting than the lasting than the love of um just either have you lived life have you lived a life and can we share this life together that's that's more powerful the wind howls like a hammer the night blows cold and rainy my love sees like some raven at my window with a brain
Well, Kelly, if you want more hard-hitting analyses of these songs, where would you go? Um, if I had to guess, yes, I would guess. Mm. Like to hear more, to hear more, just more from us, more of our episodes, more of everything. Well, there's a couple of things you could do. You could go to sotwpod.com. Definitely, that's gonna have like a show notes and stuff, and like more information and all of our episodes and everything like that. Yeah, you want to hear more about the Daniel? You want to hear more about um, the sort of Damocles? All that stuff is all gonna be in the show notes. Yeah, and you can go to patreon.com. Slash SOTWpod. That'll also have our episodes. Maybe sometimes extra stuff or early stuff. I don't know. It's, yeah. uh, I mean, you can also, if you want to hang out with us more, uh, you can join along as we listen to these songs by going to Spotify and finding our playlist. See that my playlist is kept clean. And that'll have the playlist that we listen to every week to enjoy the song. Yes. And then if you're like, well, I'm not caught up yet. What if I'm listening to... Uh, what that, Name one other song we've done. Girl from the North Country. Yeah. You can like... You can put in Spotify Girl from the North Country and then find our episodes playlist. Wow. It'll be there. And or, you can listen and, to what we did And on our then. website as well. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's really cool. Instagram, like Facebook and stuff. And and Daniel's going to be a lot better about, oh, I about love, checking those. I love you guys responding. Yeah. So as long as you respond, I'm definitely going to. It's gonna... SOTW pod everywhere. So that's really easy too. Super easy. So yeah, basically that stuff. Oh, you could leave us a review. That'd be cool. Even if it's a bad one, we'll try to read it. We'll be better. We'll be better. Do that. Give our best. You you said something earlier about a Spotify playlist. Yeah, I did a bad job, but I said it. We definitely love our Spotify playlists, and you should too. Yeah. And I think uh, you know it brings people together. Yeah, find uh, out about Fresh. Friend, find out about Fresh. <laughs> find out about so much more, and you, I don't know, just get a better sense of like who we are. Although some of these are really random picks, some of these so are some do these, not hold us to that. No, that's true. I, I think we've. I listen. We have. Coming up on over three years, we have three years worth of content, uh, recommendations, and 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 three best ups, our top twenties of the year. Yeah. You want to know more about what we actually like? Like, yeah. pop over there. These ones, no. Some of these songs were chosen just because of lyrics, because mm-hmm. of whatever, or the words less than zero minus in <laughs> in the thing. So, welcome back to the playlist. A lot of OGs this week. Uh, Built to Spill coming back for number two. Carry the Zero. Fucking love Such that song. song. Such a good song. Yeah, yeah, yes for number three. Um, oh, I just realized zero. like yesterday for the first time, I could never figure out what that album cover was. It's her like squishing, squishing an egg. egg. yeah. I had no idea. It, it was like a, a weird flower or like it, a fossil. I know. it. Yeah, it took me a minute too. I had to like really like egg. stop. and yeah. Anyway. Uh, David Bowie, Valentine's Day. Uh, he's number six on our playlist. Like the sixth time? Sixth time. Wow. Uh, Laura Marling, Failure. Number two for her uh, at the drive-in. Number two with non-zero possibility. Lou Lou Reed. Number two for Dime Store Mystery. Deftones. Number four. I nice. hope to never listen to Deftones for an, <laughs> for another long time. Yes. Uh, Elvis Costello. Number two with less than zero as well. It's a pretty classic song, but we kept it to the end. Welcome to the playlist for the first time. Love, love, love. Blood Command. That Incorporate was so great. use of cloak and dagger. I'm glad that I went with. At first, we just did the song titles and right. i was like i'm gonna go and find i don't really like it i don't like it i'm gonna go find some weird titles so valentine's day obviously i thought it was a band that you knew about no not at all but now i popped that record i'm yeah, like yeah let's go fantastic that's why i was like we're opening with this baby not only yeah. cloak and dagger is not where it is in the song whatever who cares broadcast two songs minus one minus three uh kind of a remnant of the first podcast they were a good mesh together mm-hmm. But then it just kind of survived. Uh, Danny Lee, no thanks. No limits. Not really into that. Uh, Sudan Archives, fa- fantastic. Pop that shit onto my must listen uh, with Limitless. Slotface, success. Off of the. We haven't had Slotface just, on before? Nope. Just recommended. Sorry for the late reply. Nice. 
um, Battle Beast, push it to the limit. Yes. Hell okay. Yeah. So this was an evolution. So when I heard limit, I was like, what's that sound? It's like, take it to the limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I fi- tried, finally figured out what that was. It's an original song from the fucking Scarface soundtrack. That song is in Scarface. Whoa. That 80s synth. Yeah. You know exactly what I I'm talking about. It's in fucking Scarface. I mean, it's probably over the coke scene, right? I, don't know. I mean, I guess, but like that takes out any emotional drama. You put that in a scene, sucked out. Just like, whoop. well, that's why it's probably on a montage. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, but with like yachts and boats blowing up, right? Does that happen in that movie? I couldn't tell you. Don't remember. I only saw it when I was like eight. I've only seen it on fucking TV with commercials. Super edited. So and like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I was like, I can't handle the actual '80s version right now. And then I found this yeah. amazing fucking metal band Battle from Beast. Finland. Battle beast and she's fucking of it so this is the best version and it's two minutes long and it's Ah, like fucking perfect uh you probably know kidney thieves um yes Uh, the album zero space was very important to me i bet it was so this is definitely from you uh destroyer the raven off of the new record shit that was beautiful i thought that was lou reed at first i was like Mm. who's this guy have you do you know oh yeah dude oh i've been listening to destroyer since 2014 it's so good it's pretty insane yeah you should listen Uh, you would like destroyer uh yeah because some of the songs are like long and very spacey and very i mean like this one's i think this is more accessible he's like kind of actually getting into it but he does a lot of like just mood pieces like really oh that's cool stuff that you like uh and then of course stone sour like absolute zero uh if i offended you you needed it so whatever is stone sour a a a good name or a bad name for a band that's what i'm most interested in i think it's fine yeah i think it's fine i kind of like the the name yeah it feels very 90s to me like that would make sense if that was the name of a 90s grunge band yeah it's weird that it's Corey taylor's side project band name that's all I was worried about. Is like, fair. is that a cool band name? I think that's all we need to say about that. Yeah, please don't listen. To that. Kelly, we're also real people in the world this week. Mm. We have been spending a lot of time with all kinds of stuff. But in the, in this situation, we listen to Love Minus Zero No Limit. Yes. And what a great song it was. And I'm so happy we got to do it. And I can't wait to talk about She Belongs to You. And we can kind of have our final thoughts on this as well uh, with that. But Kelly, what else were you doing this week that you want to recommend to people out there in the world so that they can fall in love with us and then listen to the part before this where we said hey give us a dollar please you can go on patreon <laughs> uh portico quartet i don't know if i've ever recommended them but they're another like a jazz band quartet yeah they actually Whoa. use a lot of well they're not a strictly a jazz band okay. they're electronic but they use a lot of like, um, are you changing a lot of jazz elements in it mm-hmm. um and i love them a lot they have six albums wow. and a lot of their music is featured on my personal little space playlist that i made because their songs make me feel like i'm in the fifth element and nothing makes me happier than that and especially recommended that podcast that playlist before probably two years ago oh the one that i made yeah yeah Yeah. it's called space dust okay (laughs) i'm pretty sure there's other ones called that uh anyway specifically leave this on gradient off of 2019's memory streams
also, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. His name's Iggy Pop. No. Mm. Well, let me tell you about Iggy Pop. Okay. So everybody knows like the passenger and like him, his work yes. with the Stooges and stuff. All great. But very much I have to be in the mindset. I mean, it's not hard to get to like 70s alternative punk mindset, but. That part's easier. I yes. think some of the stuff later is tougher to get into, which is probably what you love. That's what, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. His last two albums, um, yeah. Post Pop Depression in 2016, which he did with Josh, Josh Ami, Ami, who yeah. I also uh-huh. fucking love, uh, is great. And then his most recent album in 2019, Free, which mm-hmm. he like got a oh he just got a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award or something. Yeah. Um, the title track Free is so good. Again, makes me feel like I'm in fucking Fifth Element because there's weird spacey trumpets and shit. It's so good. What's the one song where he's like, "I'll come on your face. I'll come." Like he's um, saying something really. That might like uh, on, the, on the newest yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Sanchez. I think. Dirty Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. Oh god. That's a That's tough, a tough listen. Tough yeah. listen, but. <laughs> Like no, no, for, yeah, it's so good. Iggy Pop is a is a definite new album. You listen. It's there's no you're not allowed not. to I just do never that. have because I thought it was like yeah. oh he was one of those guys that was cool in the seventies and like all the stuff after that was garbage that no one likes. And it might be true that nobody likes nobody it. Nobody likes it, right? Now. But holy shit, those two albums, yeah, free for sure. Free, the yeah. most recent one, yeah. What a great ride. <laughs> anyway, uh, I also saw Sarah McLaughlin live finally. So. Check that off my lesbian card. Done. Iggy Did Pop, it. Sarah McLaughlin. That's why I love this podcast. What is this versus what is this? Like these are two very different things. And she played mostly her old stuff, which is fantastic. There's only like three songs I hadn't heard because I stopped listening after Afterglow, which I think was like 2006. Anyway, it was just her uh, and a piano and a guitar. Like she played the piano and the guitar, which blew my mind because I thought yeah. she only played the piano. So wow. <laughs> whoa, weird. She's a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, and she had one other woman accompany her on some songs with the cello, so it was fucking gorgeous. Yeah, she did some cool. like really cool renditions of songs that I, I saw love. it at the Arlene Schnitzer. So lovely, beautiful old theater, theater opera. Mm-hmm. I mean, who? Mm-hmm. I don't even know what you call it. I mean, theater? it's so beautiful and opulent and. Yeah. It's the acoustics cool. are great. I saw Sufjan on there in 2015. It was like, oh, it's God. smaller than Keller, but it's like. I don't love how high the seats go. Oh, it's very tall. Yeah, so, because yeah. we were, of course, at the most upper balcony, uh, at least in the front seat. But if yeah, you if you're visiting so Portland, this is all very Portlandy. Yes, a lot of Portland stuff going on yes. in here. But if you come and visit and you find yourself downtown and you've probably seen pictures of the big Portland sign, mm-hmm. uh, that's right there. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. when you find yourself at the big Portland sign, you are at the Arlen <laughs> Schnitzer, uh, and you can go in there. I want to be free. things daniel what'd you do my recommendations from last week i've been listening to a lot of tame impala a lot of beach bunny honeymoon still i'm kind of uh, i'm trying to give myself every new album that comes out i'm trying to like um i have a system now of like playlists where i'll listen to it and then i'll move it so that i can revisit it and then i'll move it again into a more archivable place that i'll pick up in like 10 years from now uh so i can just like really get to know an album especially if i like it wasn't Rap Boys? Didn't they come out with a new one? Rap too? Boys. Oh, to? Rap Boys came out yeah. with a new one as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Rap Boys also on the list. Yeah, I, that should have been on. <laughs> See? See? But yeah, Rap Boys came out with a new one too. Rap Boys, Beach Bunny. We saw them live with, with Pup. Pup, which was fucking great. And they are so good. Have, have way more country vibe than I thought, which I do appreciate. It's very nice. Um, the, the newest record that I would say I listened to is one that I'm trying to like, but I don't. By LaRue. Oh, supervision! New album from Larue. Wow. Lover. Um, 
it's it's the same song. It, like every song is the same. It's, it makes me so know, happy that you bring Larue back into my life. I forget she's a human being, and you're like, remember Larue? Yeah, I guess I maybe you have a better musical uh, ear than I do. So I, if you listen to it, I just want to know what you think. I feel like every song has the same structure. Mm. Hey man, I adore the Deftones, and their first album is the same song seven times. So. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like that. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. I just, you know, Trouble in Paradise was such a good album and just was like banger after banger. And this one just isn't banger after banger. I don't know. I've just tried. I've tried and I don't want to be too hard on it because she's great and the first record is so good and Trouble in Paradise is excellent. I'd still recommend it. Ah! <laughs> No wings were broken during the recording of this song. Kelly, your wings are fine? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's good. I just I'm supposed to have it. three, right? Oh, shit. Hmm. Kelly, we have 390, <laughs> 395 songs left. Would you care to choose another one? I would. Although okay. I'm sad because the odds of us going... We have a great song. Yeah, so good. So the odds of getting another one... <laughs> Pretty low on this roller coaster we call Sign of the Window. Yeah. He does have a lot of songs. Uh, 10. The number is 10. <laughs> number is 10. Whoa, 10. Okay. That was some random.org confidence. Um, 10 out of 10. They can take that slogan, by the way, random.org, if you're listening. Random.org confidence. <laughs> Choose sen- with confidence. Oh, I love this song when Adele did it. No, I don't actually know. Uh, Make You Feel My Love. Off of uh, 1997's Time Out of Mind. Wait, he has a song called that? Make You Feel My Love. And the Adele did, in Adele fact, cover covered it. it. Lots of people covered it. Oh. It's a great song. Very beautiful song. But we're not listening to it because... That's not the one. It's not the one. Right. So 395, we're going down to 313. Kelly, 313. Woot, woot, Episode 106 is going to be... Yeah, bad song. Trust Yourself off of Empire Burlesque, the last album we had prior to Self-Portrait. Who could have guessed that it would be a bad one <sighs> after, after such a great song? Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Let's go back to the 80s. I'm fucking ready. I don't right. care. Let's do it. See you guys. We'll talk about Trust Yourself next week. Woo! Bye. I want to know what